you could uh, get your Bibles and turn them to 1 Peter chapter 5. 1 Peter 5 is where we will be this morning. As you're on your way there, I am on, okay. Can you guys hear me okay? Apparently not. Can you guys hear me okay? There it is, all right. 1 Peter 5 is where I would like for you to be. And uh, as you're on your way there, I came across a story that I wanted to share with you this morning. There was a Sunday uh, at a local church where a pastor announced to his flock that there will be a meeting of the church's board immediately after the service. So they sang, he preached, and after the close of the service, the church's board members gathered at the back of the sanctuary for the announced meeting. But there was a stranger in their midst, a visitor who had never attended their church before. And the pastor said to the stranger, my friend, didn't you understand that this is a meeting of the board? And the visitor said, yes, and after today's sermon, I suppose I'm just about as bored as anyone else who came to this meeting. (laughs) Now, uh, you might actually find yourself relating to that today. (laughs) (laughs) There's no board meeting, so don't show up in the back of the sanctuary. I will be offended. (laughs) Just kidding. Uh, I will say that today might be a bit of a tough one for some of us. We are going to be dealing with what I might refer to as an in-house issue, something to, to, to talk about amongst us, what's happening in the life of our church family. Now, yeah, there's going to be ways for each of you to kind of Bring this into your own life and into your own understanding and, Lord willing, into your theology of how you understand God and His Word and how you understand ecclesiology, the theology of the church. But some of you, this might just totally disinterest you, so I apologize for that, but I'm just going to preach God's Word about this because uh, this week, today, we're starting just a real quick two-week series uh, called To Shepherd and Serve the Flock Like Jesus. Now, this is in response to some of the uh, work that the membership, our leadership and our membership has been doing. Uh, Last November, our members had our membership meeting, and I proposed uh, to the board a new mission, and the board affirmed it, and you guys agreed with it, that we have this new mission statement, which we just rolled out all last month. And so if you didn't get to see that or hear any of that, uh, I would invite you to go online. They're all there. Um, But... Along with that proposal uh, came another proposal. Uh, This is actually what all of our members received. And on the very back, there was a little proposal, a mini proposal called To Shepherd and Serve, a proposal for plurality of spiritual leadership at Waynesboro FM Church. Now that was just a miniaturized version, like a mini horse. Uh, In light of this really long, extended uh, dissertation, basically, of a proposal for our church to consider. You guys received the shorter, the longer was what was available to you if you wanted it, but you guys unanimously approved the proposal. Guys, this is something that I've been talking about since 2021, this idea of having a plurality in our leadership, in our pastoral leadership, or what most commonly is might refer to as elders and deacons in Scripture. I've been talking about having this structure in the chemistry, in the understanding, in the theology, in the organic makeup of this local church. 
And so you all approved that proposal, and now I believe it is time that we begin implementing what the approved proposal proposed. So with that, I do want to start with a quick question. And this question is not one that requires a verbal response, but a mental one. So here's the question. When you think of church leadership, when you think of the person pastor, what images, what experiences, what personality types come to mind when you put the word pastor in front of your head? Don't say it out loud. Just think about it. Have that image there. Maybe your pastor and your ideal pastor in your head, he's got, uh, he, he's got suit and tie, right? He's wearing suit and tie. He's straight up. He's dressed up to preach up, right? Another of you might have uh, the, the whole easy kind of blue jeans, a button down, and some nice shoes. Others of you uh, might picture uh, a pastor who's got the trendiest haircut. He's wearing the latest trends from Hollister or American Eagle. You know those blue jeans that have the pre-ripped holes in them that are $100 a piece? That might be yours. Flip to his personality. Think about your ideal pastor's personality. He's probably charismatic and just visionary. Like he's always, always thinking about taking things to the next level. When you're around him, you're like, I'll follow, right? There's that guy. Or maybe your ideal personality pastor is he's edgy. He like punches you every week. He's, he's kind of like uncomfortable funny, but he makes you pay attention. Or maybe your ideal pastor is the one who just preaches and talks about fire and brimstone all the time. You got to repent, turn back to Christ. Flip to his experiences now. What kind of experience does your ideal pastor need to have? Is it, is it experience managing a large staff at a secular business? Is that what he needs to have? Does he, does he have to have his own podcast show that has international reach? Well, maybe, most likely, he's at least got to have some seminary training. At best would be he needs to have a master's, an MDiv, another master's, and two doctorates. Now, I would say that some of you probably didn't hold all of those, because some of those don't work well together, but at least most of you are like, yeah, I would say that. Uh, the only thing that I match in that list is the dress. Just saying. But we all have this diversity of views on how we, we picture our typical or ideal pastor. That's where our church leader, right? But I, I would say that we could probably boil them all down into two pretty standard understandings of what we think about church leadership, about what we think about what pastors should be and what they should be doing. And they're just two easy titles for them. The first one is the pastor as CEO. The pastor as CEO, the chief executive officer. The pastor's primary purpose is to keep his organization, a.k.a. the church, running smoothly and growing steadily. He needs to apply sound business principles to his operation and will find success when he satisfies the desires of the shareholders, a.k.a. you, and he builds his potential customer base, a.k.a. the visitors, and they experience numerical growth in key metrics like attendance and offerings, bucks and butts. That's, that's language among pastors. I don't subscribe to it, but pastors talk that way. The CEO pastor has a vision and a strategy for leading people where they wouldn't otherwise go to build the organization. That's one typical view. 
Another is the pastor as be all. You say be all. This is the kind of view of a pastor that views the pastor as a spiritual guru who makes the sole responsibility of all the church's ministry on him. He's like the mediator between God and his people. And people will only go to him for prayer and spiritual care because apparently nobody else's prayer matters as much or works as well. He's the only one who gets paid, and because of that, he should be the one out in the community evangelizing. He should be the only one going out to visit sick people because you know if the pastor doesn't visit and anybody else does, it don't count, right? Or or, or people, he's the one who should be bringing people uh, into the church, and he's the one that when you have an unbelieving friend, you bring that unbelieving friend to him. Allow him to clean them up. I once heard a pastor say it this way, you catch them, I'll clean them. Uh, just going to be real frank with you, I don't want to clean your fish. You catch them, you clean them. Now, if you can't tell, um, there's a lot of sarcasm in all of this, but my aim today is to kind of gracefully challenge some of the preconceived understandings of church leadership and the relationship with church membership. So I think it's really important because as we have distorted views the more dysfunctional our church will become. But as we have accurate views, the more healthy and sound our church will be. Guys, pastoral ministry, church leadership, church itself has become so misunderstood, mainly because it's become so secretized with modern-day business practices. And I could go off on a tangent there, but I had to cut some stuff out. So, We, to our fault, get our ministry strategies and metrics from the latest business trends and our church leadership structures from their structures. Today, my hope, as we're talking about this and as we're rolling this whole thing out, is to give you the job description that God gives for your pastor and his responsibilities, the qualifications, the the tasks that he's to be about. Now, if you were to go to Scripture and start looking for this, you might get a little confused because based on your denominational backgrounds, you might have a different title for uh, this guy who's teaching and kind of spiritually caring for the flock. Some of you, how many of you come from an elder background where your guys were elders? What about bishop? Nobody bishop? Okay. What about overseer? Okay, what about uh, pastor? Should be everybody, because come on. All of those words in the New Testament are there, but they're almost all used interchangeably. And so, one of the things that we're going to do next week is we're going to talk about servants, or you might know them as deacons. Today, we're going to talk about what Scripture most often refers to as elders, but there's interchangeably with shepherds and bishops and overseers throughout the New Testament. But we are going to focus in on one passage today that I think is going to at least call us into this really well. And this is 1 Peter. So you should already be there, Lord willing. It's in the, almost the back of the book, if you haven't found it yet. 1 Peter chapter 5. And this is Peter's, obviously, first letter to... Uh, he actually is writing from Rome, and he's writing to the churches in Asia Minor, which is actually modern-day Turkey. 
And it's these churches that he's writing to, and they are wrestling, they're struggling with persecution. They are being exiled, they're being persecuted for their faith. That's why uh, what I read earlier in the service, 1 Peter 2, you've been called to suffer, following Christ's footsteps. So he's writing to a suffering, persecuted church. And in his letter, in chapter 5, he doesn't just simply address the church, the local churches, he addresses the elders of the churches. Look at verse 1. I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder and witness to the sufferings of Christ, as well as the one who shares in the glory about to be revealed. All right, so he's clearly targeting a, a, a group of people and then gives them the exhortation. Verse 2, shepherd God's flock among you, not overseeing out of compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you. Not out of greed for money, but eagerly. Not lording it over those entrusted to you, but being examples of the flock. Examples to the flock, sorry. Verse 4, And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. In the same way, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. All of you clothe yourselves with humility toward one another, because God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. For these persecuted, suffering Christians, these churches spread out across Asia Minor, Peter has a word with their elders or their leaders, and he gives them one command. Shepherd God's flock among you. So what is an elder to do? Shepherd the flock. The command is to shepherd. If you were to take that Greek word and to punch it in across the New Testament, you'd see it several times in different contexts. For example, we see it in the book of Acts when Paul, the apostle, is giving instruction to the elders in the church at Ephesus, in the city of Ephesus. And this is what he says to them. Be on guard, you elders, for yourselves and for all the flock which the Holy Spirit has appointed you as overseers, there's that one word, to shepherd the church of God, which he purchased with his own blood. So the biblical understanding of the role of a local church's leaders or their pastors, most commonly called elder in Scripture, is to view them as sheep herders or shepherds. Because the calling of the spiritual leadership in this church it's inextricably tied to the biblical metaphor of a shepherd tending to his flock of sheep. I was reading an article and a guy quoted Alexander Strouch and he says, If we want to understand Christian elders and their work, we must understand the biblical imagery of shepherding. As keepers of sheep, New Testament elders are to protect, feed, lead, and care for the flock's many practical, spiritual needs. This idea of shepherding the flock comes from Jesus himself, does it not? Look at verse 4. What does it say? What does it call Jesus? And when the chief shepherd, the head honcho shepherd, the chief shepherd appears. Not only that, but we see in John 10, Jesus himself calls himself the good shepherd. He cares for his sheep. 
His sheep know his what? Voice. And they follow him. There's another time in Jesus' ministry when he looks on the crowd and he has compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. And he starts to teach them. Not only this, but after the death and resurrection of Jesus and in that Peter's denial, Jesus and Peter are having this moment of reconciliation after the resurrection. And, And Jesus comes to Peter and Peter comes to Jesus and Jesus says to him, Simon, son of John, Do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said to him. You know that I love you. Feed my what? Sheep. Simon, son of John, do you love me? Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Shepherd my sheep. Simon, son of John, do you love me? Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Feed my sheep. Again and again, Jesus in his infinite wisdom and understanding, passes along the shepherding care of his bride, his church, his flock, to humanity, to people. The church is a flock that belongs to the chief shepherd, and their local pastor is the under-shepherd to the chief shepherd. Now, it's at this point when pastors or preachers typically make the connection that you guys, the church is sheep, and the the spiritual leadership, they're the shepherds. Typically, pastors love to start talking about the nature of sheep. They love to start talking about how uh, stubborn and unruly sheep can be. They can talk about how, they love to talk about how sheep bite, how really they just smell terrible sometimes how often they fight with one another, how often they are so helpless, how often they wander off and get lost real easily. In fact, they also love to talk about how often uh, sometimes to deal with a sheep that's just so stubbornly getting lost time and time again, the shepherd will break the legs of the sheep and carry it for months to train the sheep to stay close to the shepherd. Pastors love to talk about that, but not this pastor because you guys are great sheep. Not only that, I am very, very keenly aware of just how sheepish I am too. How stubborn and unruly and smelly I can be. But you see what this introduces though. This introduces our understanding of our relationship together as a church. It introduces uh, the, the church leadership structure. How it's made up of elders and overseers and their task is simply to shepherd. In fact, when you think of the word pastor, do you think that actually is a Greek transliterated word? No, it's actually not even in the Bible. It is, it is a Latin word. Pastor is Latin. That comes way after the canon of Scripture. It's, it's, it's Latin means shepherd. The Greek word here and its affiliates are poimen, which means shepherd. It literally just translates shepherd. So the title pastor just is from Roman history. It's Latin. Biblical understanding is shepherd. And you know what I find in Scripture? I find that shepherds were uh, most often running their own dynamic businesses on the side of their ministry, and they were uh, uh, running the local Starbucks affiliate uh, down the street from the temple in Jerusalem. 
and they managed so many staff, and um, no, I actually never found any of that. Uh, you know, what I found was that shepherds, they tended to their sheep. Their job was to tend to and care for a flock. In fact, if you, if you want to do the real work about the attractiveness of this role of pastor, you would come to understand that in the New Testament, shepherds were totally despised by society. They were actually marginalized and outcast, especially by the Jewish leadership. There's history among them. Yet Jesus entrusts the care of his flock, its feeding, its leading, its protection to human shepherds. Now, with that, there are some people who think this way, and I I tend to disagree with them. He doesn't just give anyone the task of shepherding churches. He's not the Oprah of churches. You want a church? You get a church, and you get a church, and you get a church, and you get a church. If you want it, you can have it. You're here. You can have a church, right? He's not Oprah. Scripture doesn't just simply say anybody who wants one can have one. Anybody who wants to be one can be one. No, Scripture very clearly gives qualifications for these elders. There are two different lists that are given in Scripture The first one's in 1 Timothy 3, the second one is in Titus chapter 1, and I've simply just distilled them down into one list, uh, because some of them expand, some of them are matching, so here's the list. Yeah, tell me about it. First, he first needs to just simply aspire to the office. He doesn't want it, he shouldn't be in it. Two, he needs to be above reproach. In other words, this person needs to live in a way that gives no cause for others to think badly of the church or the faith or the Lord. He needs to be a one-woman man. Some of your translations just simply say husband of one wife. But the more literal is a one-woman man. In other words, his heart and his mind are faithfully fixed upon loving and enjoying only his wife. And he loves her well. They need to be qualified in sober-mindedness, not a drunkard meaning he, help, he exercises healthy thinking and a mastery of his appetites. He needs to be self-controlled. He needs to be respectable, hospitable, able to teach. He needs to be able to teach, skilled in teaching. He needs to know biblical doctrine well, and he needs to be able to explain it to people well. He shouldn't be violent. In other words, he, he's got a, a controlled temper. He needs to be gentle, not quarrelsome or arrogant, not a lover of money or greedy for gain. He needs to be a good manager and steward of his own household. He shouldn't be a recent convert. In other words, he just needs to be a mature believer. He needs to be well thought of by outsiders. He needs to be a lover of good. He needs to be upright. In other words, he wants to see justice accomplished in all the world at all levels. And lastly, he needs to be holy. In other words, he needs needs to have a deep personal, sanctifying relationship with the Lord, and he's set apart unto the Lord. Now, just a quick observation about this list. If you, you would say that if these are qualifications for a pastor, these would then be the things that God wants in his pastoral leadership, correct? And what does it seem that God seems most to care about in 
his shepherds? Is it what they can do? No. Uh, on that whole list, how many of them are about what he can do? One. He needs to be able to teach. What are all the rest of them about? His character. Who he is. Who this pastor is. That's what God values most. Guys, in, in your church leadership, character eats talents and abilities for breakfast. Did you also notice that... Um, that nowhere on there is there any kind of business experience or business savvy, staff management skills, anything like that? No, that's why our staff has to deal with me on a regular basis because I'm not it's, not, it's not biblically qualified. Like, I don't have to be that, okay? Luke and Debbie and Ethan. Does it also say that he needs, on this list, that he needs to have a really trendy Twitter feed? Or, or that he should be really concerned about going viral? No. No, that, that's, not, that's not on here. You know what, in fact, if you were to go back to the text, what does Peter say in his command? Shepherd the flock among you, not the one on the other side of the screen. You see, what's on here is gentle. <laughs> he's gentle. He's kind. He's, he's not greedy. He's an excellent husband and father. And he's holy. You know, I, I was reading, um, there's a pastor named Robert Murray McShane, and, and he said this, the greatest need of my people is my own personal holiness. Think about it. If I'm more like Christ, won't you be better off? If I'm less like Scott Brud and, and more like Jesus, that, that, that's, that's better for you, ain't it? That's what he's getting at. That's why it's so important. Love for Christ and his transformation is the most important thing. You see, this, all of that, that's the kingdom. That's kingdom economics right there. Those are the qualifications for church's elders. And it's those things that Peter writes about. This is, uh, sorry, those are the things that Peter's talking to. The, when he talks about elders, it's those who are qualified in that way. And it's those who, to whom he says, shepherd God's flock. Now, how many of you um, ever shepherded your own flock of actual sheep? I haven't either. How many of you have like watched YouTube videos of what it's like? Yeah, I have. It's a pain. <laughs> There's a lot of work that goes into it. It, it, it takes a lot of, uh, of engagement, a lot of time. There's a lot to be done, a lot to consider. It's so similar to shepherding an actual flock of Jesus, like Jesus. Although I actually really love my job. It's not a pain. But what does it mean to shepherd? If, if our understanding of church leadership and church membership and the relationship as one church 
And the task of the elders is to shepherd. What does it mean? What should they be doing? Well, you can kind of, again, do the same thing that we did with the qualifications. You can just look at some of the commands that are given to elders and, and shepherds, and you'll find out. So what I've done is I've actually just assimilated a brief list, and, and you actually find it in our membership covenant, because our members, when they go into our membership covenant, our shepherd team will co- covenant to them as well with these following things. And so here's the list of things that the shepherds are supposed to do. How come there's no like, whoa, to that? Whoa. All right, thank you. First is to lovingly care for and seek the maturity in the image of Christ of every member of the church. There's some scripture to follow each one. He's also, they're also to appoint and maintain shepherds and servants according to the criteria given in the scriptures. They're also prayerfully seeking God's will for the church community and stewarding her resources to the best of their ability based on the study of scriptures and the following of the Spirit. They also need to provide preaching and teaching and counsel from the scriptures that span the whole counsel of God's word. They need to be equipping the membership of the church for engaging in the work of ministry and building of the body. They also need to be on guard against false teachers and false teachings. They also need to be graciously and lovingly exercising church discipline as it is necessary. And finally, they also need to be setting an example for the flock. Now, tucked into that list was a passage that I would uh, put before you that kind of has really captured my heart for how I'm praying for our church family, what I'm believing my responsibility is, and what y'all's responsibility is, our responsibility as a local church really is. And it comes from Ephesians chapter 4, verses 11 through 13. You've probably heard it before. And Jesus himself gave some to be apostles, some prophets, evangelists, and shepherds, and teachers. To what? To equip the saints for the work of ministry. To build up the body of Christ. Until when? Until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of God's Son, growing into maturity with the stature measured by Christ's fullness. That has been my heart. I am begging God that I would be able to equip you guys for the work of ministry that only God can do through you, in your life and in your circles of influence. And that I would help be building up the church, not building out the church, building up the church. And in that, that we would be going after unity in our faith and our understanding of God's word and that we would be growing into maturity, that the maturity in our church would be just natural. It wouldn't be forced or behavior modification. Now, in all of this, there's one final confrontation, I think, Uh, clarifying point that I need to make. And I've been hinting at it throughout, and I've been using the language throughout already. Uh, For those of you uh, who are, in general, familiar with some of the history of the, the New Testament church and some of the scriptures about it, is it typical to see a local church in a city have only one shepherding elder Or is it typical to see in Scripture a local church in the city have more than one shepherding elder? Which one? More than one. More than one. Guys, the typical practice in the early church was that many qualified and gifted elders served a local body, not just one. I mean, I actually see nowhere in Scripture specifically where it's warranted or commanded or advised that one man be the spiritual leader and authority over a local church. I don't see it anywhere, except for Jesus himself. He's the chief shepherd. But in every other case, there is no argument to make from Scripture 
for a single shepherd over a local church. There seems to be the case for plurality of elders or shepherds. I mean, I'm going to go back to the passage that we just read through. And he himself gave some to be apostles, some prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. Did you realize that there's not just one there to be equipping the church? That's not just shepherds that the church needs? To be equipped, the church needs apostles and prophets and evangelists and teachers. Now, there's some debate as to what all that means. I'm going to argue from the simplest that the apostles now are missionaries. They're the sent ones, which that literally means. Prophets, they're the ones who know and speak God's will. Evangelists, they're the ones out in the community preaching the gospel, which literally is what evangelist means in the Greek, proclaiming the gospel. And we need teachers, those who know God's word well and can explain it to others. There's not just one gift to the church of shepherd. There are a multiplicity of them. And when it comes to, that's, I mean, that you could say is the big C church. When it comes to the little C, the local church, the New Testament has clear indications that elders are always referred to in the plural, in the many for a place. So, so, so here, like, let me just put the list up, all right? In Acts 14, elders, plural, are appointed to every church. In Acts 15, the elders, plural, and apostles work together to resolve a major dispute. In Acts 20, verse 28, overseers, plural, shepherd the flock in Ephesus. In Philippians 1, Paul writes to the overseers, plural, in the city of Philippi. 1 Timothy 4, a council of elders, plural, laid their hands upon Timothy. In 1 Timothy 5, elders, plural, direct the affairs of the local church. In Titus 1, Paul instructs Titus to appoint elders, plural, in every town. In James 5, James exhorts the sick to call upon the elders, plural, of their local church for prayer and anointing. In 1 Peter 5, here, Peter instructs the elders, plural, as a fellow elder, to shepherd the flock of God among them. And then later on in verse 5 in our same chapter, Peter tells younger men to submit to their elders, plural. There is a group or a team of elders shepherding at every local church, not just one person. You know, I was reading a sermon by John Wesley this week called The Ministerial Office, and, and about halfway through it, he just kind of seems to go off on this rant. And he starts complaining about uh, the fact that even centuries ago, it became so common for one man to take the whole charge of a congregation. Hence, the same person acted as priest and prophet, as pastor and evangelist. And this gradually spread more and more throughout the whole Christian church. And he went on to argue that that wasn't the original design for the church. He, he said that actually that came about when Constantine institutionalized Christianity as the, as the established religion. So while the responsibility of of shepherding resides in a group, right? So I, I, I hope you can see that, that, the, that it's in the group, not just simply a man. Scripture does have times where it indicates that there may be among that group one who is laboring in specific responsibilities that are charged to shepherds. So, for example, in Paul's letter to Timothy, he encourages uh, that those elders who rule well be considered worthy of double honor. Notice the plural there especially those who labor in preaching and teaching. In other words, all shepherds should be able to teach, all elders should be able to teach, but not all are actively serving in that role. There might be some who are doing the teaching and preaching. So because Scripture seems to just give both examples and commands for a plurality of elders and shepherds in the local church, it's, it's been my conviction ever since I arrived 
two and a half years ago, that we should follow the examples, we should obey the commands, and we should do all the work necessary, no matter how hard it can be to write a 15-page paper. That's like the most annoying thing to do. That we need to do whatever it takes to follow Christ's design for his flock. Guys, weren't we made to be interdependent with one another in the diversity of gifts among the members of Christ's body? Not just reliant on one? (laughs) Isn't every one of us as human beings limited? If you didn't know that, uh, now you know. No one elder is going to be able to possess the full complement of gifts God intends to bless and build the church with. Right? Doesn't this idea contradict the idea of a singular genius guru pastor who's responsible for everything and replaces it with what the Bible calls an abundance of counselors who collaborate, who lead, who guide, and care for the church together? And won't this create like a community of care and support and accountability that guards the church and guards the calling and life and doctrine of the church's leaders? And think most beautifully, doesn't doing this, doesn't implementing a plurality of church leaders provide a model for the unity to which God calls the whole church? So therefore, brothers and sisters, we are going to apply this conviction today on a church structural level here locally. I, I believe I have a responsibility to Christ and his, his flock that in order to shepherd the flock among me, as Peter exhorts, that I've got to do what Paul charged Titus and Timothy to do, and that's to appoint shepherds. So today I'm going to present to you a group of nominees to be considered for appointment to our Waynesboro FM Church's first ever shepherd team. They're going to be qualified, Lord willing, as you've seen. They're going to be tasked with those things which you've seen and heard. And to be clear, my role is not changing I am not going anywhere. I'm, I'm, I'm going to actually be able to, by God's grace alone, serve even better in ways with this. In fact, I, I'm the one who has sought this out. I'm the one who has been uh, not wanting to be so alone in the responsibility that's so precious I'm the one who sought these individuals out and have asked them to join me in the great, precious task of shepherding the flock. And so these are individuals that I've gotten to know over the last two and a half years. They are current members, and some of them are even current leaders in our church. And I I do believe over the last two and a half years, I've gotten to know them enough to be able to say that they are qualified, as Scripture has described, and I believe that they are uniquely gifted to equip and to build. They're not the ones who asked me to do this. Again, I'm the one who went after them and asked them, and they are willing. And so therefore, I would like to identify uh, the following as nominees for your consideration. Now, we're not, 
We're not appointing them today. I'm identifying them today. I'll tell you about the process afterwards. But I would like to call the following forward with their appropriate titles. The first will be Ethan Colvin as a staff pastor on our shepherd team. Next will be Joseph Gibson as a lay shepherd. Truman Payne as a lay shepherd. Dave Simpson as a lay shepherd. And Dale Crosby. Dale Crosby has the position of lay shepherd on the servant team, and I've also asked him to consider leading, sorry, a lead on the a lay member of the shepherd team, but I've also asked him to lead the servant team, which you'll hear more about next week. Now, again, I'm a member of this team. I'm the leader of this team. I do have a primary role as I've been appointed by the denomination above us. Now, in this, I would also like to identify that this also allows for a process of training, on-the-ground training for those who aspire to the position as well. And we have one among us. And I know there, there might be more among us as well who aspire to this position, but as far as I know, this is who's been identified and is member, a member currently, and that's, that's Austin McClanahan, if you would come forward as well as a shepherd in training. This has been the product of two and a half years of prayer and, and consideration. And so um, I've got a few questions to ask these guys in order to clarify some things before you. And um, we practiced, or I gave you the responses, so if you want to, you, can, you should be able to. So obviously you've already heard the qualifications and the responsibilities that I'm inviting you into to share. So the first question is, do you aspire the noble work of the role of shepherd among this flock? As Peter describes in the text we study today, do you humbly seek this responsibility out of no other compulsion, but out of obedience to God's call on your life to shepherd his flock, not to lord it over those entrusted to us, but being examples of Christ's likeness to the flock? Lastly, are you willing to enter into a season of cross-examination, allowing for your reputation from this flock to come to bear on this process of appointment? All right, so church family, this is how you apply this. This is how you are being charged. Throughout the month of March, we're going to have a season of prayerful discerning. Right? And I'm going to ask that you prayerfully consider each of these individuals some of you know them, some of you don't. I would ask that you get to know them in this month. And I would also ask that if you have any biblical reasons for why any of these men ought to not be, or be qualified for this, why they might be disqualified for this appointment process, whether it's, whether it's unrepentant sinful habits, whether it's major doctrinal errors or some small doctrinal errors, or whether it's major brokenness that you, like if they've got, they've got, they've got murder in their background, like I need to know. Um, like, like, yeah. I would ask that you... Take your charge and come speak with me. And gently and humbly share your concerns. If you have any concerns with any of these individuals before you, 
And at the end of this month, on March 26, pending how this whole cross-examination period goes, uh, we will be bringing this team and we'll also be bringing the servant team up, which you'll hear about next week, before you, and we will be receiving them and affirming them and commissioning them as shepherds of this church as well. So with that, let's, uh, let's be aware of what we're, what we're doing as a church and just how incredibly valuable this can be for the care and spiritual growth of this church. So thank you, gentlemen. You can go find your seat because uh, while we're talking about all of this, I can't help but have in view just how incredibly precious you are. Not because I feel a certain way about you. I do. I love you guys. And I love that I get to be in this role. But the reason why you are so incredibly precious is because of what Paul said to the elders in Ephesus. He said, be on guard for yourselves and for all the flocks of the Holy Spirit which he has appointed you as overseers to shepherd the church of God, which he purchased with his own blood. You are the most valuable thing on this earth. The church is the most valuable, priceless thing in existence right now that walks this earth. And so that makes me so terrified because y'all are Jesus's and I've got to go before him and stand accountable. It's why I'm doing this. But I can't help but in, in having in view just how precious the flock of Jesus is, it seems appropriate that we partake in the sacrament that's designed to remind us of how precious the blood is that purchased you.